podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Monday, the 7th of June, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. Allows you to go online, change your location, do things like access American Netflix, access HBO Max, get a Peacock account, whatever you want to do. Also keeps your data safe online. LibertyShield.com is the website. They have hardware and software packages. You'll get 20% off at checkout using the code EPLVPN. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And lastly, do remember to check out the EPL Index shop on Etsy. Right, folks, it's a special day because I have a guest. It is the one and only Mr. Kevin DeVries from the EPL Roundtable. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing too bad. I mean, I'm doing very badly when it comes to Tottenham in particular, but I'm going to bury that until at least the second half of the show. But uh, yeah, really excited to talk with you. I didn't get to see uh, as much football, Premier League or otherwise, this year as I used to when it was my job. But uh, hopefully you can you can carry most of the show and I'll just pipe up with personal gut feelings and opinions as we go. So this is our annual review of the Premier League season. This must be the third or fourth year we've done this. Uh, So this is part one. Part two will come out later in the week on the EPL roundtable feed. So do check that out. Today, we're going to go from Arsenal to Leicester. So we're doing A through W as it is uh, in the league this year, or as it was in the league this past season. This one will be Arsenal to Leicester. Liverpool to Wolves will be on Kev's show later in the week. So Kev, As you said, you haven't seen as much football as you would normally have liked to have seen, but I'm sure you'll have seen enough of Arsenal to understand what a desperately disappointing season the Gunners had. Yep. Eighth in the table, only there by the grace of a good run late in the season when all the pressure was off and fixtures fell favorably to them. Yeah, five straight, right, to end the year? Six straight. Six straight wins to end the season. Um, their best run of the season. Oh no, you're right. It is five straight. Sorry, five, they did. They lost to Everton, which was the the bad result. Then they won five straight, beating Newcastle, West Brom, Chelsea, Crystal Palace, and Brighton. So five of them games they should win. The Chelsea game fell in around the time of the FA Cup final, so Chelsea were resting players. That run, I think, has given them a false sense of where they are as a team. And I think it's given them a full sense of what they have in their manager, Mikel Arteta, who, as I've been saying all season, to me, looks out of his depth. Tactically, I haven't seen any kind of evolution for him. I've seen him throw a bunch of stuff at a wall, hope that something sticks, and then stick to that relentlessly. So last season, the 1920 season, when he took over, we saw them develop quite a defensive style. 
with an out ball to Aubameyang on the left and hope for the best from there. This season, that was the go-to tactic through the first couple of months. When it wasn't working because Aubameyang wasn't playing well, he changed it up, having jettisoned Mesut Ozil because he didn't want a number 10. He brought in Emil Smith-Rowe as a number 10. It turned their season round. Now, they would have a, a second slump across the second half of the season before the good run at the end. But to me, looking at their season as a whole, with the talent they have, and I, I want to say as well, I, I haven't seen any club use their squad as badly as Arsenal have this past season. They had six players on loan who would have improved their team, <laughs> not just their squad, their team. Yeah. I have to say that for me... It's a D season for Arsenal. I think Arteta is very lucky to still have a job. And I think Arsenal are very lucky to have finished top half, let alone an eighth position. Yeah, I, I gave them exactly a D as well. I, I don't know what it would have taken for them to get an F. Maybe, like you say, falling outside of the, the top 10 might have done it. But there certainly were promising signs, like you talked about. Emil Smith-Rowe, obviously, Bukayo Saka was fantastic. Um, if, they, if Martinelli can stay fit, like that's a good younger group um, to kind of bring through together. But, uh, you know, getting rid of Xhaka, which it sounds like they're trying to do, would probably be a good step in the right direction. Uh, obviously, uh, get Saliba back and just put him with Gabriel and just see mm. what you have long term. And, and build the foundation. And the same yeah, exactly. thing in the field. Like, they own Guendouzi, they own Torreira, they own Willock, they own Maitland-Niles. Any of them can give you more than Granite Xhaka. And I've seen Arsenal fans say, oh, but this was the best season Xhaka had with us. He How bad was the red cards in his career? He was dreadful. Weeks of nothing. Weeks of it. But because he yeah. wasn't getting sent off and doing stupid things, and because other players were playing worse, notably Willian, who I, I said last summer, disastrous oh, signing. And Aubameyang, dreadful decision to give him the new big contract. Mm -hmm. Because of those two, no one seemed to notice Granite Xhaka giving them a 5 out of 10 season. Yeah. Also, it raises questions about Mourinho's understanding of that position, considering he loved Dyer as both a midfielder and a center back and now wants Granite Xhaka. Like, is he just incapable of seeing talent at that position? He's like, that's a big bloke that's kind of nasty. What a great player. I do think so. Now, I do think the Italian league might suit Granit Xhaka a little bit better. But I also think mm. that some of those rumors might be coming from his agent. Because when you look at, at the a AS Roma squad that Mourinho's taking over, they're actually quite decent in midfield. I wouldn't say midfield is one of their three biggest priorities. Like, they need an upgrade in goal. They need a couple of new fullbacks. And they're probably going to need a new striker because it looks like Ed and Jacko wants out. In midfield, they've got Pellegrini, they've got Cristante, they've got Amadou Diawara. Uh, Zaniolo will come back and probably play an attacking midfield role for them. I, I wonder how much of it is real and how much of it is his agent trying to either generate a new contract from Arsenal, which would be, well, it would be very on point for, for Arsenal. Or just get him out of Arsenal because he, he himself looks like he may well have had enough. Mm. Yeah. Could well be. Um, what do you think is their biggest need now outside of maybe a better manager? For Arsenal, 
I think the biggest need, I would say a right back. Like, I wouldn't be a big fan of Leno, but he's serviceable at least. He's a mid-table goalkeeper, and that's why they're part of why they're a mid-table team. I think they've got two potentially good young centre-backs in Saliba and Gabriel. I think they've got Mavroponos holding and Pablo Mari can be a solid backup group. Kieran Tierney's a, a really good left back. They do need a backup to him. But I think at right back, Hector Bellerin just wouldn't be for me. Cedric is fine as a backup. I think get a right back in midfield. You've got Tomas. You've got Maitland-Niles can be a backup to him. You've got Guendouzi. You've got Torreira. They could be partners for, for Tomas. Um, Saka off one wing. You're going to have to play... I think Aubameyang and Pepe, because you, you've got so much money invested in them, you can't just have them rot on the bench. So if Pepe's on a wing and uh, Aubameyang is up front, they can then sell Lacazette. You've got Willock as a backup to Smith-Rowe as the 10. Martinelli as a backup to either uh, either a winger or as a striker. They've got Eddie and Ketia, they've got Fowler and Balogun, they've got Reese Nelson, so they've got a bunch of young players. I don't think they need a whole bunch. I think a, a good right back and a good goalkeeper would be the moves in the right direction for them. Because Could you I think get if, younger players to start building a window for for maybe a year or two from now, rather than trying to be good now, which they've tried for like the last five years. Oh, I'd go young. I, I'd go. I'd go Max Ahrens from Norwich for the right back. Now, you want to maybe go mid-20s on the goalkeeper. I really like Rajkovic from uh, Stad Reims. I think he'd be a really good upgrade on Leno. I think you can sell Leno, you can sell Xhaka, you can sell Lacazette. You can probably do do your transfer window, including getting in the backup for um, for Tierney and maybe one more you know, young player in attack. You can probably do all that at a negative net spend. But I do think the biggest issue is the manager. Like, I think if you gave, and I know you won't like this, but I think if you gave Pochettino that Arsenal squad and said, look, you've got three years, build us something with this. This is what you have for this season. Go with this for a year, and we'll readdress it next summer, and we'll see what you need then. Let's see what you can make out of Max Ahrens, Saliba, Gabriel, and Kieran Tierney as a back four. This attack. Mm. I, I don't think, like, the... the the team I've set out there, it's not a title-winning team. It's its not a top-four team. But it's a team that could get you sixth. And it's a team with loads of room for growth. And maybe in a year you look to move on Aubameyang. You continue to rebuild Nicolas Pepe's value, which cratered after a poor first season. But he did have a decent second season. And maybe you can get something out of that. And then you reinvest and go big for a striker, big for a winger. But... I. My worry with Arsenal is they don't really seem to have a plan. They they want to build something, and then they give Aubameyang a big contract and bring in Willian. Then they play Granit Xhaka and David Luiz most of the season. You've loaned out six young players, well, five, five young players and Torreira, all of whom could be beneficial to you. I don't really understand what the plan is, but they've got a manager who's out of his depth and a sporting director who's out of his depth. And it doesn't really seem like there's a whole bunch of structure around them. Like last year, they sacked most of their scouts. And this year, they're hiring in a whole new bunch of scouts. They already had really good scouts. They should have just kept the ones they had. Yeah. And then obviously, not this was not just an Arsenal thing, but with all the like 
furloughs and all that kind of stuff just operationally things not super great there but like i said i certainly cannot throw any stones out of my very glass house in that regard um but anyway let's let's talk a little bit about uh, aston villa so one of the players that i was going to say arsenal should probably be trying to get is emmy buendia um and because uh, he could play on one of those sides if you wanted to if you wanted him to be on the inverse of of pepe you could probably pull that off he could probably play as a 10 if you wanted to move him there. But uh, it sounds like as we're recording, Aston Villa are actually uh, most likely to get him at the moment, which is great because he's also the player that I said would be best for them. Just because um, obviously the second Grealish got hurt, their season went much worse. Um, on the whole, I've given them a B minus, which does seem pretty harsh. But like they were fifth at the turn of the year and then ended up in 11th. Um, like I said, a lot of that because of the Grealish injury. He was third in chances created in the league despite missing 12 games. So, like, that's that's the impact that he was having when he was there and that was missing when he wasn't. Um, he almost had double the amount of uh, chances created than anyone else on the team. Uh, I think he had double the assists of Traore, who I think was second. So, yeah, it, it, it did not go well after Grealish went down. But they had, like, tried to address this. By bringing in Barkley, by bringing in Sanson, like the idea was that they had players to replace him if he went down. But I think that was still assuming that he would always play centrally, which I know you have opinions about. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, I think that's part of the big disappointment is that they weren't able to do anything without Grealish. I think every club hates being referred to as a one man club. Obviously, it was happening to Tottenham when, you know, Kane had fully developed, but maybe Son and, and co hadn't really caught up yet. Um and I don't want to say that they're a one-man club, but, I mean, the, the results with him and without him are, are nearly Zaha Palace-esque. Um, but uh, anyway, I think their signings were pretty good. Watkins and Cash, I think, were both really good young signings. And uh, Emilio Martinez was one of the most impactful signings in the entire league this year. Um, he, he was just really, really fantastic. And uh, actually curious to get your thoughts after I'm done rambling if you think he might have been better than... Uh, Leno for Arsenal. But um, all of the signings, I, I thought, weren't, weren't just good, but they also fit their profile and window. So they literally have one player older than 27 right now. It's Connor Horahan, and they just loaned him out to Swansea, and obviously are about to get him back with uh, Swansea not coming up. But this is a really young squad, a lot of potential, far brighter days ahead of it. Um, I, I don't think you sell Grealish. Uh, I know people will be interested again, and that's where the money would come if you were trying to rebuild. But they're mostly fine throughout their squad. They've obviously spent a fair bit of money over the last two years, but I think they're in pretty good spot. Keep Grealish at least this year. See how you do. See if you can't push um, you know, a bit higher than just trying to aim for top 10, which obviously they fell just short of. But you know, 10th in goals, 7th in defense. Not, not not too bad for, for Aston Villa. Like I said, a B minus just because of the perception, like things were going well and then they weren't going well. But you could argue they deserved a little bit higher. Um, yeah, I, I think. See, the thing is, they they had a good fourteen game run up until the twenty eighth of December when they drew one one with Chelsea. Things were going well for them. They'd won their first four games and they lost four out of five, but then they went five unbeaten, three wins, two draws. The new year flips. Grealish plays the next eight games before he gets hurt. They lose four and draw one of them. So the, the idea that their season fell apart after he got hurt just isn't true. Mm-hmm. They fell apart while he was still in the team. And he fell off in that time as well. Through 14 games, he was ridiculous. Now, he was still creating chances while playing poorly. 
largely because everything goes through him. One of the issues for them, it's not so much that you lose the player of Jack Grealish, it's that you lose your way of playing when yeah, your whole team your is set up. up. That's the thing. And if you also look, their season falling off coincides with Ross Barkley getting hurt, not Jack Grealish. When Barkley got hurt and went out of the team, they changed the shape a little bit. And more of everything was back on Grealish's shoulders. When Barkley was there, it was a secondary playmaker, someone that could carry the ball from midfield, and it was taking the pressure off Grealish. And we were seeing Grealish going way up a level from last season. But without Barkley, everything went back to Grealish. And we saw the same Aston Villa that we saw last season, which was a team battling relegation. And their form from January onwards is relegation form, with or without Grealish, it's relegation form. And that's not good enough. Now, you cited the defence, and I think the defence is what held them together this season. I think they've got a really good right back in Cash, a good left back in Matt Target, a mm-hmm. really good centre back in Esri Konza. Who not I think the other be, one. <laughs> the other one is dreadful. Tyron Mings is dreadful. He is not a Premier League player. And he is one of the reasons that Villa have a ceiling on this team. They've got a great goalkeeper. Martinez, for me, best goalkeeper in the league this season. Absolutely robbed of of goalkeeper of the season in in the Premier League team of the year. Mm. He was phenomenally good. And that's another, you know, another slap against Arsenal. The team who sold Serge Gnabry for eight million, who sold Ishmael Benasser for four million, who's now starring for AC Milan, who sold Daniel Malin for two million and sold Jeffrey An- An- Jeff Rene Adelaide for two million who then went for 25 million two years later. This is another one of those. You had two goalkeepers. One of them was playing really well, but you decided that the other one was your first choice when he came back from an injury. So you sold the guy playing really well, who then went off to Aston Villa and put together a really good season, despite playing behind a clown. A clown Mm. is what Tyron Mings is. Which is what Arsenal have at the back as well. So you would have thought that they would want to keep somebody that would be able to save a team from something like that. Exactly. Like, Arsenal have one good centre-back, Gabriel. They've got a really good left-back in Kieran Tierney. Now, they don't don't have a particularly good right-back at the club. But their defence, in terms of the individuals, is no worse than Aston Villa's. Now, in fairness, Arsenal had a pretty decent defensive record this season as well. Um, But that's because they played a defensive style of football. Villa didn't. Villa were quite progressive, quite attack-minded. Douglas Louise didn't quite hit the same level as last season. Uh, I thought John McGinn had a good year, though. Barkley was great through the first 14 games. Never the same after the injury. You mentioned Morgan Sanson. They bring him in. He gets injured. It's unfortunate. But I I thought we saw Bertrand Traore step up in spells. We saw El Ghazi step up in spells. Watkins was really good to start the year, then fell off, then came on strong again. The issue for Villa was consistency. Konza and Martinez were consistently excellent through the season. I think Cash and Target were consistently good through the season. McGinn was consistently good. Aside from that, a lot of inconsistencies. 11th, probably a fair reflection on their season. Probably what they would have taken before the season. If you'd said to them, look, you're going to go into the Premier League, you're going to survive year one, they'd have taken it. You're going to finish mid-table year two, they'd have taken it. Mm. Year three will be about challenging for Europe because they've got really ambitious owners, really wealthy owners as well. So the people saying, oh, but they'll need to sell Grealish to progress. 
they don't need to sell anybody. Those owners have spent over 200 million since they got promoted. They can happily just throw another 100 million at this and be absolutely fine. I don't think yeah. they'll sell Grealish either, but that's largely because I don't think anyone's going to pay 100 million for Jack Grealish. And anyone who yeah. does, I'd, I'd, I'd sack everybody. If my club, if I owned a football club and someone paid 100 million for Jack Grealish, I'd sack everybody instantaneously. Remember when we were linked with Grealish all summer and then we offered $5 million in Josh Onoma? Shame that didn't work out. Um, do you think Dean Smith is uh, a good enough manager to take them past where they are now? This will be the season to find out. This is the season he's going to have real pressure on him. Like, if, if he doesn't challenge for Europe this season, he will be gone. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think, I think those owners... One of their owners owns the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. And we've seen how ruthless he can be. Jason Kidd did pretty well there. And he sacked him. Because he didn't reach the expectations. If Mike yeah. Budenhoser doesn't get out of the East this year, he may well get sacked. That guy was probably the best coach in the NBA over the last three years. But he'll get sacked if he doesn't reach expectations. Um, I have doubts that Smith is good enough. But we'll see this year. It, mm. And he's definitely earned another year. Oh, yeah. Like nobody's saying sure. he should be sacked now. It's just, will he no, be able sure. to be good enough next The big week? question for me with Villa is, can Jack Grealish perform from August to May? A full season. Because we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Didn't see it before they got relegated. They were in the championship for three years. If he's as good as advertised... How was he not elevating them out of the championship? Even the season they come up, he had a great year and got hurt and missed a bunch of games. Missed like 15, 20 games. Mm. Last season, he was okay, flashy, but look where they ended up. Yeah. This season, he missed 12. Yeah. This season, he missed 12 starts. I think he only started 22 games. Like, that's a lot of football to be missing. I need to know that Jack Grealish is robust enough to play a full season and that he's going to facilitate real winning. And by that I mean, yeah. can he get this team, which is a good team? Like I said, they've spent two hundred million to put around him since coming up. Two hundred million is not to be and sniffed. largely good buys, not not wasted two hundred million. No, the first summer, Wesley, fair, <laughs> you know, Mings. Some of it was a little bit, a, a little bit. You know, if you could have it back, you'd have it back. Okay, but this, this year summer, was good. Really good signings. Really good signings. And I expect the same again. That they've got the new director of football, so it'll be interesting to see what he can put together. But I, I'd agree with you. I think B minus is fair. Um, right on to Burn. Oh no, what I, I don't have Burnley. You have Burnley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I was getting confused with my list. I have Brighton and Hove Albion. So uh, a disappointing 16th place, but I think a somewhat predictable 16th place when you look at the business they did last summer. They spent most of the summer trying to get in a striker. Darwin Nunes, they went big on him, missed out. He went to Benfica. They tried for Nico Gonzalez. It couldn't agree a fee with Stuttgart. And in the end, they brought in Danny Welbeck, who was uh, a free agent, they brought in Adam Lalana, who was a free agent, uh, and Joel Veltman for 900 grand as a bit of defensive depth. So they didn't address their big need, which was somebody who was consistently going to put the ball in the back of the net. You've got the likes of Mopay, Trossard, Connolly, really good players, but need 
need a focal point, and none of them are going to get you 18 to 20 goals a season. They'll get you 8 to 10, maybe 12 at a push in all comps. The failure to get in that striker hammered them this season because defensively, they were really good. And Nico Gonzalez is going to be worth way more money this year than he was last year. Oh, a, f- a fortune more. They're not getting. I don't think they'll get him. I think his profile's gone up to the point they won't get him this year. Um, but like, they're probably going to lose Eves Bas- uh, Basima. They could lose Ben White if someone gets silly and throws a bunch of money at them. You look at the at their season last year. They created a bunch of chances and underperformed their XG substantially. Their XG against was one of the better ones in the league. So, you know, stylistically everything worked out. They were really good up until the point of putting the ball in the back of the net. If they'd had a striker, they probably would have been a top-half team, but they didn't. And for me, 16th just isn't good enough. I, I really like Potter. I think he's a very good manager, but... To go from 15th last year to 16th this year, I was I was expecting a jump. I know he didn't get the backing he needed or wanted, but for me, it's still a disappointing season. So it's a C for me. Yeah, I agree. And if you look at any X stats at all, Brighton should have been way better. I think they had the worst expected points under performance since it's been tracked, which isn't that long of a history, but still pretty impressive. I think they finished 20-ish points. Yeah, 20.4 points worse than, than what expected points would have. Well, I was going to say predicted, but that's not how it works. The, the whole idea is that it is excellent at predicting what should have happened, not what will happen. But, um, yeah, I think they just needed a striker, like you said. Um, I, I don't think Ben White was very impressive after all the hype that he was getting when he left Leeds. And they, you know, didn't they push off like multiple 20 plus million pound offers for him? Because they're like, no, he's staying and he's going to be the core of our defense. They uh, were demanding 40 million for that boy. He can't oof. defend. He it can't defend. Not great. <laughs> Always good enough, I guess, to push a six foot nine player to left back. But we won't get into that too much. Um, although I do find it very silly. But yeah, I, I think you're right. They, they were just missing a striker. The wingers that they have, which I don't know if you remember, you and I used to, that was the position that they needed. And they tried it with Johan Bach and it didn't super work out. Trossard, I think, was a really good signing. But these are players that like to cross the ball. And your main striker is Neil Mope, who's, what, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, maybe? Um, it just doesn't really make sense. Uh, McAllister didn't take the step forward that I kind of expected him to this year. Like you said, Basuma was just fantastic this year. Uh, and pre all of the nonsense that happened managerially, uh, if Tottenham had wound up with Potter and Basuma, that's the kind of partnership I could have dealt with. Um, kind of like in a in a sorry Jorginho way of bringing in somebody that knows the system and can kind of be the, the general on the pitch, although he'd have some contention both at position and in the locker room with Hoybier. But um, yeah, I think that'd I, be a good pairing, though. It would. Basuma and Hoiberg as a, as a as a midfield two. Hoiberg to yep. sit, Basuma box to box. Yeah, which would be great because Hoybier's one issue is that he reads the game brilliantly, but he isn't fast enough to get to the things he's seeing sometimes, um, which Bazuma would obviously be able to help with. So, uh, But anyway, I don't mean to make every single club's thing about Tottenham. But uh, yeah, I think Potter did an excellent job. Uh, you do have to question um, the, the quality of chances they were creating because as soon as you start relying on things like expected goals or expected points as a metric, you need to like dive a little bit deeper. I've always viewed those things as, as kind of like flags. 
to like look at this and then you go look at it rather than just being like they should have been 20 points better um but i largely do think it was just bad finishing if you go back and look at a lot of the qualities uh, of chances they've created maybe your average striker doesn't score all of them but like when it looked like potter might be coming to tottenham though the issues in that system would not exist if your striker is harry kane they probably aren't even an issue if you have a striker like callum wilson at newcastle like this you don't need a high high quality striker who they could have had you just need somebody that has a little bit of skill in the air and somebody that can take snapshots quickly because some of them you know the windows close quickly because they have some decent ball playing distributors in that in that team so some of the chances are there for a second and then they're gone and if Mope overthinks it, over dribbles. He he tends to drive wide in the box, I've noticed. Yeah, he a weird amount of Brighton this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He creates difficulties for himself in his finishing. Where like they'll they're finding him with the passes, but he's not in the right spot. So anyway, I, I I'm not sure if Potter is ready for a club like Tottenham unless they're in a full rebuild. Um, and I think the good news for them is that they're probably going to be able to hang on to him this year. But I, I, I don't put much of their struggles down to him this year. I think no, they had a lot of underperforming players and, you know. The only thing I would put on him the, is he routinely, picked, he routinely picked Adam Lallana in central midfield when he was getting nothing out of him. He yeah. routinely picked Danny Welbeck when Welbeck wasn't playing well. Now, I know he was picking Welbeck. don't have many Welbeck. good options. No, that's the thing. He was picking Welbeck because he wanted a physical presence up front, which is what he tried to get in the summer. Like, I thought they should have gone and got Woot Weghorst. I thought it yeah, would have been, been a great signing for them. You Although know, we did try to sell Weghorst to like nine clubs in the summer. Yes, <laughs> the show that yes we, did. we did. But I thought he would have been ideal for them. Great in the air. Great link player. Gets a shot away really quickly. Good instincts. Smart player. Works hard. I thought he would have fit really well, but I wouldn't yeah. put much of the blame for this season at the door of Graham Potter. Like you said, I, I don't think he's quite ready for for Tottenham, but it, if, if, for example, if Brendan Rodgers was to leave Leicester and go to Tottenham, Leicester yeah. would be a really good fit for for Potter, and the players they have, I think, would, would suit him actually better than they suit Brendan. Yeah, and worth noting, none of that's happening. <laughs> but, but yes, hypothetically, I, I think he would be ready for a job like Leicester, or or if like Moyes went back to Everton, like take over West Ham, something something around that that group, he'd probably do fairly well in. Uh, all right, I'll talk to you guys now about uh, Burnley now, which is uh, maybe not the most exciting club we're going to cover today. Oh, uh, what grade did you give Brighton? Uh, a C for me. Yeah, I did a C minus. Um, but yeah, same same general family. <laughs> Burnley, on the other hand, were worse. Seventeenth, uh, and that's exactly where they should have been based on most of the other stats. Eighteenth in goals scored, which is not ideal. Um, they did not do much in the summer yet again. I don't think they did anything in January, if memory serves. Um, <laughs> but we gave them an F for their summer business last summer. And yeah, that's that's basically what should have happened. They finished just one spot off relegation. Their attack was relegation caliber. Like I said, they were 18th, just 33 goals on the air, obviously less than a goal a game. Um, uh, they ended up scoring fewer goals than West Brom, who to be here had Matthias Pereira, who will have a very good career somewhere that probably isn't West Brom. <laughs> but yeah, that's just that's just not good enough. The only reason is it, the only reason this isn't an F for me is because. Uh, they and Dice were never bad enough that it 
felt like they were the team that was going to get dragged down. Like, I think at one point they were below Newcastle in the table, but Newcastle fans were more worried about going down than Burnley were. Mm. And I think that's just because Sean Dyche, his tactics, the players that they have and their relationships over like a decade, because they never buy anyone, um, makes them have like, their floor is just high enough that it won't be relegation caliber as long as they have Dyche and as long as they have the core of this team. But the question is, are they going to still have that? They were really inconsistent this year. Uh, I think Tarkovsky made noises that he isn't going to sign a new contract. Um, they probably made the right choice between um, Pope and Heaton, um, just because Heaton was hurt, then lost his own job twice, uh, partially due to injury, and is now going to be third choice at United unless they move on from De Gea and crown Henderson as the guy. But, <laughs> yeah, it's the question is, do you get to keep Tarkovsky and Pope? Does anybody try to come in for McNeil? Probably not because of the season that he had. Is somebody going to come in for Dyche? Everton should have hired Dyche like three times by now. Are they going to do it now? Still probably not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that's that's my big concern. Is they squeaked out this year. They were more inconsistent than I've ever seen a Sean Dyche team um, with more downs than ups, uh, which mm. is why they finished 17th. But if they can keep the group together, they're probably fine. They should try to invest with the new ownership, but it seems like their ownership structure is treating their club the same way United is with the Glazers, which is not a precedent you want to set, and that they have money, but it's like valuation money, not squad club money. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd be a little bit nervous if I'm a Burnley fan. If you lose any of those key parts and you don't invest correctly with the money generated from them, then relegation is an option next year if you don't do that and handle all those things correctly but Burnley are always boring if they just keep the band together again they'll finish like 12th to 16th and they'll just be fine again and what grade are you giving them give them a d a d um yeah it's hard it's hard not to to go d with this now i would give dice a b because i think dice has is the only reason they've stayed up this year they gave Last- him a Nothing again. Nothing. Last summer they gave him Dale Stevens, who was on the scrap heap, 500 grand. Nothing in January. They started the season terribly. Uh, five defeats and two draws in the first seven games. They were one point above Sheffield United after after seven games. And and at that point you were looking at Sheffield United going, you're in trouble. And you're like Burnley, you'll probably be all right. You've got Sean Dice, you'll probably be all right. Mm. From there they were quite. Not not good. Good would be a, a massive overstatement. But they were okay from week seven onwards. Sorry, week eight onwards. They beat Crystal Palace. And right up until they went to Goodison and beat um, Everton, they were doing pretty well. 29 games in, they were 15th in the table. And you're like, you know what, that's okay. Their finish to the season was, it was a mess. They lost seven of nine, um, just the two wins. They walloped Wolves away. And then beat Fulham away, um, which kind of, you know, kept them respectable. But you just, you can't continue to roll back the same group and hope that nothing's going to change. Last season, they finished top top half, 10th place. It was fairly obvious early doors that this was going to be a different type of season. No investment, started the season with a whole bunch of injuries. And they don't have any kind of squad to cope with injuries. They have a good spine. Pope is a good goalkeeper. Tarkovsky and me are are very good uh, as a pair, good individually, both massively underrated. 
the midfield group of Westwood, Cork and Brownhill are all good, tidy players. None spectacular, but tidy players. Chris Wood is a good player, but needs the right partner. And McNeil's a, a very talented player, but like you said, he had a step back season as well. Now, if if I was looking at Dwight McNeil to get him in, this would be the summer to do it because his valuation might be a bit lower after a bad yeah. season. I think if they lose Dyche, they're in trouble. Even even if they could keep everything else, I think if they lose Dyche, they're they're down. It, it, the minute he goes, I think I'll 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 bet on them to go down. Uh, I think they'll lose Tarkovsky this summer. I'd imagine there'll be a couple of clubs. He said he come. wants Champions League football, though. And I'm just like, who? Yeah, he needs to address his expectations. Now, look, I will say, he's had a look at Harry Maguire and thought, <laughs> Fair. he cost $85 million And he's playing for Man United and captain of United and, and in the England squad. And I don't think there's a big gulf between James Tarkovsky and Harry Maguire. No, I'd, I'd take think, him. I actually think Tarkovsky's a better defender than Maguire. I think Maguire's better on the ball. But I think as an actual defender, I would rather have James Tarkovsky. Better 1v1, reads the game a little bit better, and has a slight bit more pace, though both are slow. The issue with Tarkovsky is if you buy him, you're kind of committing to playing a deep defensive line, which none of the top clubs do. Now, I could see him going to West Ham this summer. I could see Moyes looking Mm. at him going, that's my new Phil Jagielka. I've used Craig Dawson in that way this past season. I'll get Tarkovsky, and that's a big upgrade. I think he'd take that move. It's Europa League football. It's not Champions League, but it's still European football. West Ham are still a big club, bigger than Burnley. It's London. He's been in London before. He was was at Brentford. I think he'd go to West Ham. I think that would be a good move for him. The question is, how much of what are they going to get from 20 million, 22 million with a year left in his deal? How much of that is Dyche going to get to reinvest? Half, if even. And for Liverpool fans getting all excited and saying, oh, you buy Nat Phillips. No, he won't. No, he won't. Dyche likes centre-backs who can play football, not donkeys. The misconception about Burnley centre-backs is one of the things that annoys me most. And remember as well, the only centre-back Dyche has ever spent big money on was Ben Gibson, who didn't work work out for him. He gone. But was a ball-playing centre-back. That's the type of centre-back he wants, is a ball-player, not a grok. I think Dyche, as long as he's there, will keep them up. But as soon as he goes, it's good night and God bless. Yeah. We'll move on from Burnley because, well, there's only so much time you can really spend on on the Burnley. <laughs> on a club world. that doesn't do transfers. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so Chelsea next. So... I mean, if you look at their overall season, they won a Champions League. And if you win the Champions League, your season is automatically an A+. Yep. But if, if we're looking at it from a league perspective, they fell backwards into the Champions League. Um, having initially done brilliantly under Thomas Tuchel when he took over from Lampard, they had climbed their way in. And you thought at one point they might actually get second. And then their end of season form was quite poor. They were, they were poor under Lampard. There's no other way around it. I mean, they were on a bad run. They were heading for mid-table. So Tuchel saved them. So I think the Tuchel portion of the season in the league is probably an A. The Lampard portion is a D. Considering the best transfer window anyone has ever had ever in the history of the world ever, the Lampard portion was a disaster. But Tuchel has done really well. Um, they got top four 
purely on the basis that Leicester choked. They're welcome. Um, So I would say... I would say it's a B for the league. But if we're looking at the whole season, they won the Champions League. That is A+, no matter what else happens. Yeah, and beat out City to do it, who yeah. obviously were very desperate to win it. And Aguero had his whole, I won't leave till we win a Champions League thing. Uh, man, uh, I have not often bought into the Pep overthinking big matches thing. I think, you know, it's it's hard to categorize things as just that. But, ooh, if there was ever an example, that probably goes pretty, pretty near the top. Um, as for Chelsea, I agree. I think, I still don't understand Timo Werner's struggles. Well, outside of the fact that he doesn't know what an offside line is. Um, but, uh, yeah, I agree with you that, that as soon as Tuchel came in, Obviously, one of the reasons he was brought in was, please fix the Germans that we spent like $150 million plus combined on. Um, and I think he did so. I mean, obviously, um, Werner managed to score a, bit, a few more goals towards the, the back half of the season. Mm. Um, but I, I, when it comes to like the, the difficulties that you mentioned, like with them limping down the stretch, they did have three different competitions that they were still in at that point in very advanced stages. They were in an FA Cup final. They were in Champions League semifinals. And then obviously the final. They were still trying to do top four. Uh, and anytime Tottenham's been in a situation like that, we've had to choose. And they really went for all three. Still managed to get the top four and managed to win the Champions League. Obviously didn't win the FA Cup final, which gave Leicester obviously a really, really brilliant moment there. But if you were given those three competitions and you're still in three of them, Aren't the two that you'd rather make it the top four of the Premier League and the Champions League? Like, they got the ones that they would have wanted, I think. For Chelsea, yes. I think for Chelsea, for Liverpool, for United, for City, and for Arsenal, you would always take top four over anything, over over a cup, because you've won a bunch of cups. Like, Arsenal have won a whole bunch of FA Cups recently. They haven't got Champions League in years now. Uh, United Champions League is all that matters. Same with Liverpool. We Same obviously with just need a trophy. For you guys, and, and for the rest of the league, I do think you prioritise the FA Cup or the Champions League. And maybe say, look, if we miss top four, we miss top four. We'll have a second shot at, in the Champions League at getting into the Champions League for next year. We'll have, if we win it, that's, in, that's incredible. And we get in automatically next year. But I think if it comes down to a straight shot between the FA Cup and the Champions League, you probably do take the FA Cup. Um, especially for Leicester, say, who, who'd never won the cup before. Man. But then they just, also won the Champions League. So given all three, like I, I totally get why people are uh, kind of question marking what happened there towards the end of the season. But for me, they were just in three competitions and they met their expectations in two of them. Yeah, that's the thing. And, and like Chelsea have won, I think, five FA Cups under or four FA Cups under under um, Roman's era. So, I mean, they've got plenty of them. They They didn't. You know, they, they they only had the one Champions League. Now they have two. They're in the Champions League again next season. I think yeah, they'll be still happy. They still had a chance enough. in the FA Cup too. It took a Tielemans banger and a VAR call for them to lose yeah. that match. That's the thing. Like, so the idea that Brendan Rodgers put on a masterclass is a myth. Like, they lost to one of the greatest goals ever scored in an FA Cup final. Brilliant. Like, if you put three God, goalkeepers in the net, they weren't going to save it. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, I gave them an A as well. And what did you end up with? It with a B at, at large say and an B, A if yeah. you do Champions League. Yeah, for for the Premier League season because it's a season. I would say it's a B because you have to factor in the Lampard portion of things, and it was, it was fairly dreadful under Lampard. Um, that run from 
mid-December to mid-January where they lost six of nine games. That's unacceptable for Chelsea. With the amount of money they had spent and the expectation that was on them, they, they gave Lampard a team to go and win the league. And when he was sacked, they were ninth. So to me, when you factor that in and they end up fourth with the team they have, the squad they have, the money they invested, I think for the league, it's a B. But like I said, if you win Champions League, it's an A-plus season. has to be. Yeah, and as annoyed as I am about both of their Champions League wins, like the scene of Mason Mount doing like the steering thing with the cup like Drogba did, I'm sure that brought joy to someone. Certainly was not me. Um, <laughs> I'll talk a little bit about Crystal Palace now. Um, they finished 14th, which is probably what they expected coming into the season. Just kind of mid-table obscurity there, which uh, seemed to kind of always be the promise with Roy. Uh, wasn't there a year where they finished, like, top 10? Like, 8th or ninth or like something? Like, 9th one year, I think. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this isn't a top 10 squad, and Roy isn't a top 10 manager. So I, I'm thoroughly unsurprised that this is... That this is where they finished up, and that's even with me having a relative soft spot for them. Um, it wasn't doom and gloom, obviously. I think as they had a really good first season, people might have wanted more than four goals and eight assists from him. But you know, for your first year in the Premier League, that's that's a pretty good showing. And some of the things he was doing on the pitch uh, belie his talent and, and really show how good he'll be there long term. Whether it's linking up with Zaha or whether it's kind of as his replacement long term. Um, Benteke showed signs of life. I think he got double-digit goals this year. Got a one-year contract. Of course he did. He was in a contract year. <laughs> of course he did. Got a two-year contract out of it. Not going to comment on that at all. Uh, but yeah, obviously the, the that Brighton winning goal is going to be etched in the minds of basically every Palace fan that saw that. Um, and for neutrals that don't understand the Crystal Palace-Brighton rivalry, just go to the Eagles' beak. They'll sort you out. I'm sure it's their most viewed article ever as people still try to figure out that. Um, but yeah, that, that winning goal, I, I think, uh, might have single-handedly got him that contract. Um, obviously, at the end of the year, Hodgson stepped down as manager. Um, I think they should also make changes on the pitch as well, and it seems like that's happening. Um, hopefully the new manager will be able to get the most out of their young players, though. Um, you have Eze, Matata, who didn't really play much, but he will next year with, uh, I think, Jordan Ayew and both. I think he and Batshuayi are both gone. Um, then you have uh, Mitchell on the left, Tyke Mitchell, who I thought did fairly well. Uh, and then Nathan Ferguson, who we both liked two years ago. Mm. And I'm not sure if he's played a football match since then, uh, dealing with a lot of injury issues. But that, that's a pretty good young group. Um, it sounds like Zaha wants out again if he does actually. Like, if I'm Palace, this might be the year for me where I'm like, I need the money. To, to regrow the squad in the you know image of whoever we bring in as manager. But just just a quick question. Have you seen their released list? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> They're down to 14 senior players. Mm. They got rid of, and by got rid of, I mean didn't renew the contracts of Gary Cahill, Nathaniel Klein, Scott Dan, Wayne Hennessy, uh, Mamadou Sako, Andros Townsend, Patrick Van Anhelt, Joel Ward, and Connor Wickham. That's like eight senior team members, five of whom were regular starters for your yeah. team. So you're getting rid of Hodgson. You're also getting rid of like who Crystal Palace have been for the last four-ish years. Like It's going to be a big year of transition. I hope they nail it. Uh, like I said, they have some good young players, but they're, they have to be in the market heavy. They just need bodies. 
They need people that will actually play a match. If they had three injuries right now, they wouldn't be able to play a football match. <laughs> like, that is absurd at the senior level in the Premier League. Um, in theory, if you're an incoming manager, that might be an intriguing prospect of blank slate, bring the players you want, bring the staff you want. Like We can really build this around you because you don't have any of these older, aging, Deadwood-ish players. Although, like I said, they weren't really Deadwood. They were starting pretty they regularly. Exactly. <laughs> but but there's a lot of spots in the in the starting 11 that you can fill there's a lot of spots in the squad that you can fill you have free reign and if they you know have enough money to do that if they scout well enough to do that it could go really well but it could just as easily go really really badly next season it could it's they have to nail the managerial appointment like they have to get this right they have to get someone in who can build a squad because they don't have a squad now they've got half a squad and half a team um, they've still got a couple more players to decide on as well who are out of contract this summer that they didn't put on the release list. So there's a couple more there that they still have to negotiate with. Um, it's one of the weirder things to see that many players. At one point, they had 16 players, uh, including Batshuayi, who was on loan. So say 15 contracted players due to run out of contract this summer. Oh, God. That is insane. In one year, that is absolute madness. Dougie Friedman's done a dreadful job as the sporting director since taking over there. And I would have doubts about his ability to, to rebuild a squad for them. Like he blew the Jared Bowen deal. He blew the Nathan Ferguson deal the first time. Um, credit to them for getting Eze in. But now he's out for most of the next season as well. So not only does oh, your I best player... About his injury. He's got a torn oh. Achilles. So you've got your best player in Wilf Saha wants to leave. Unfortunately for you, you've held on to him two years too long, and his value is not what it was two years ago. Your second best player in the future of your club, Eberichiese, is out for the seat for probably most of the season anyway. And then you've still got all these other question marks. Like it is probably the time to sell Zaha because you've got to replenish so much. And the other question then as well is how much are the owners going to be willing to put in? Like, what sort of budget is a new manager walking into? Is he mm. getting 30 million, 40 million? Because that's what it's going to take on top of the Zaha money to rebuild that squad. When you need five starters, at least, you need a lot of money to get Premier League caliber players in. In the areas they need them in, they need a couple of center backs. They're expensive. They need at least one starting center midfielder. That's expensive. They need a starting winger. That's going to be expensive as well. And they might, they'll need a striker if Zaha goes. So again, you're talking big money and a spine of a team. It's going to be a very, very difficult job. This past season, they accomplished exactly what Hodgson wanted. Hodgson wants 13th or 14th position. That's absolutely fine. That's what they got. They got 14th. He wants 43 to 47 points. And again, that's absolutely fine. They ended up on 44, so right in the Roy Hodgson sweet spot. So they'll give themselves, or Hodgie will give himself an A for the season because he landed exactly where he wanted on the exact mm. amount of points he wanted. But for me, it's hard to give them any more than like a C plus because I gave it's him just, a C. Yeah. yeah, it's just more of the same. It's there's no fun with Palace. There's no excitement. You start every season knowing you're going to end up in the lower end of the mid-table, playing some of the most turgid football in the league. Now, I will give them credit for one thing.
they managed to score more than a goal a game this season. So that was good. However, is one of the selling points of Roy Hodgson not meant to be that he sets up a great defence? They conceded they 16th. Yeah, 66 goals conceded. Only Southampton and West Brom conceded more. That is atrocious. So it's a C plus for me, but it's a it's an F for Hodgson. Um, and and the the plaudits and platitudes he received while walking out the door, they can all go in the bin. Uh, the Premier League will be better off without Roy Hodgson. And um, I've said it before, I think Palace should have looked to move him into like a director's role because mm. I do think he can be beneficial to your club. Uh, you just don't want him anywhere near your first team at this point. Uh, but they need to nail their appointment. Now, rumours are they're in talks with Nuno, but now the Everton job coming up potentially is a spanner in the works there. They've tried for Dyche before, and he interviewed with them, and it didn't happen at that point, so maybe they go back for Dyche. But is is Dyche the type of guy to come in and rebuild in the summer? It's not something he's done at, at, at Burnley. He's more... He's never had the opportunity, though. I mean, if they no, have the money, true. that might be an interesting thing. That, but that's the thing. He, he'll he need the money. Now, he, could he go back to Burnley and bring in one or two? I mean, what ones would you want? I don't see Pope going there. I don't see Tarkovsky going there. Uh, maybe Ben Mee would be interested in the move mm-hmm. to go with, with Dyche. Maybe Ashley Westwood would like the move. Um, Loughton. I don't know. But Loughton's 32. Like... Yeah. You, you, if, you're, if you're just going to rebuild with older players again, you're going to end up in the same situation Palace have been in with one of the oldest True. squads in the league. Like, they could try and get a bit exciting and go, you know, go and buy Dwight McNeil. If you can get him for a, a decent enough price. And then next season, when Ezzy's back fully, you have the two of them as as part of something, an exciting pair that you can build around going forward. Mm. You know, if, if you could Maybe sell Mateta that, takes a step forward. That's not a bad, you know, that's, that's three quarters of an situation. Um, and if you get like, if you could get, say, an Eddie and Ketia in from Arsenal on loan, that's what they're going to have to do this summer. They're going to have to look for players that are not quite making the grade at the big clubs. So, you know, say at Tottenham, if there's a feeling that I, I don't know who, like, if there's a feeling that. Jaffa Tanganga isn't going to make the grade. Go and try and get him. Mm. Or for Chelsea, it could I'd be... I'd loan him to them now, I'll, yeah, although but that's he like, has an injury again. Either try and buy them or try and loan them. If it's a player that they do see as part of the future, like, say, an Ollie Skip, try and loan in Ollie Skip for a year. Now, I, mean, I think he's gone back to Norwich, isn't he, for the for another year. But that or we'll keep player, him. Kind of depends on the manager. A Billy Gilmore. You know, getting young players on loan that can help you out. If you can get two-year loans, even better. Look in the championship. You're always going to find talent in the championship. Like, they need a right-back, potentially, depending on Ferguson and whether he's a right-back or centre-back. If it's a back three, they might want to play him as the right-side centre-back and bring in a right-back. A Jed Spence from um, from Middlesbrough could be an option. There's a couple of good centre-backs. Lloyd Kelly could be an option if they wanted to bring someone like that in. Lewis Cook, as another example in midfield from from Bournemouth. Championship, loans, and cast-offs. That's where they're going to have to shop. They're not going to have the money to shop at the high end of things. And their Crystal Palace... To fill 10 signings. That's the thing. That's the thing. You're going to have to get three or four good loans in, two or three good championship players in, and two or three 
that other clubs either aren't aren't valuing properly or you know would see you as a step up and I, I, with respect there's not many clubs in the premier league to whom crystal palace is a step up yeah agreed especially like when i said like the variance is so wide for them this year but that's yeah. exactly the thing right we'll, we'll jump on then to everton um, mm-hmm. now obviously th- this is a season of two parts so i don't know if you're aware of this kev everton won the league on the 17th of october um, they, they beat us. The first, <laughs> they, they won the first four games. They beat you. They beat West Brom. They beat Palace. Uh, they beat Brighton. And then, then they drew at Liverpool. And on the day they drew at Liverpool, uh, with the help of VAR and some dreadful refereeing decisions uh, and Jordan Pickford's disgusting tackle and Richarlison's disgusting tackle. But when they got that draw anyway, I'm not bitter about it at all. When they got that draw, they actually won the league and the rest of it was all just fluff and bluster. So, Obviously, it's an A for the first five games. But after that, I'm sorry, it's a D. For Everton to finish 10th with with that manager, one of the best managers the game's ever seen. Now, he's not quite the same guy as he used to be, but he's still very, very good. With that squad, which is a, is a, a, a talented squad, I just think it's a poor season. Now, the recruitment was a little bit weird last summer. They They talked about you know, building something and then went with largely win-now players, Alan, James, Decore, Ben yeah. Godfrey being the only one with really a long-term view, and he's he's the best of the of the, of the signings. Um, they've now lost... They've overpaid for most of them, though, which I was pretty impressed by. Yeah, to be fair. Now, I, I would say that, like, James's lack of interest in actually playing football for Everton is is striking, the fact that he took multiple holidays during the season, um, the fact that he disappeared the night before their last game and then posted an Instagram of himself on a plane heading on holiday, it doesn't speak to me as somebody that really cares about the club. And with I, I will say on, that that was because his family weren't in England and he wasn't able to leave the Premier League camp or he'd have to sit out two weeks. But he went on holiday during the season and missed multiple weeks when he came back to quarantine. Mm-hmm. He didn't like he just didn't care. He didn't care. He he signed to play for Carlo and now Carlo's gone. So is he going to want to stay? I don't think he is. I think his next move is America, China, Qatar, somewhere like that. If I was Everton, I'd be having talks with his agent now about saying goodbye. Everton losing Carlo obviously is a, is, is a blow, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Because Carlo's never shown he's the type of manager that can build something. You look at his entire career, he's never built a team in his life. He takes over good teams and makes them great teams and wins things. He doesn't take over bad teams and build them into good teams. They were 12th when he took, or they were 14th, I think, when he took over. They finished 12th last year. They got 10th this year. Everton have been a disaster for the last five, six years in terms of recruitment in terms of player development. I think we saw Calvert-Lewin take good steps forward this season. I think that's one of the big bright yeah. spots. Whether he stays long-term, there's a lot of talk that Man United like him. There's, a, there's some talk that Spurs would, would target him if if Kane does go. Um, will Luca Dina now be willing to stay because he's had interest from elsewhere? Will Richarlison be willing to stay? 
Alan, obviously not going to be very happy, turned down bigger moves to join Everton because of Carlo as well. I think Everton are a club that face a massive summer. Again, like with Palace, they need to nail their managerial appointment just to keep the players happy. Do you think that's Nuno? Nuno will give you two to three really good years and then it'll all go a little bit sour because he's he's one of those managers who's so demanding on his players, doesn't tend to have great relationships with his players. And at the same time, he's not like an elite level manager, so he'll demand a lot, but he's not going to have the tactical nuances and tweaks to get you above maybe what your ceiling is. It's like we saw at Wolves, 7th, 7th, ceiling, drop-off. I don't know what he would do with Everton. I, I do think they've got a squad that would suit him. Dean is a, a very good wing-back. Um, Holgate, Godfrey and Keane potentially as a back three, I think could be very strong. Um, they need a right wing-back, but they need a right back anyway. I would be looking to upgrade the goalkeeper because Pickford just wouldn't be for me. But Alan and Decoure as a midfield two, I think, is is very strong. Um, yeah. And then you've got you've got um, Richarlison, you've got Calvert Lewin as your Jimenez and Jota type. You know, one through the middle, one a little bit wide. I think he needs an out and out winger. He, he'd need yeah. his Adama Traore. I don't think he'd have much time for for James Rodriguez. Also, if Nuno went, it could literally be Adama Traore. Yes, it could very well be, or it could be Wilf Saha. <laughs> As we've discussed, they're finally replacing Bolasi, who they <laughs> just let, let well, go on his contract. That's an example of how bad they've been, right? They, they released Bolasi and Theo Walcott this week. They spent £55 million on those two players. Trying to solve the same issue. Yeah, and got nothing for them. It, it, but we talked about this at length, Kev. The, the summer they signed Gilfi. Rooney, Klassen, and Vlasic. So all weird. number 10s. The best of whom, by a substantial margin, is <laughs> Nicola Vlasic, they don't have. <laughs> who they sold yeah. for a small profit. Now, if they had him, he would start for them. They sold Adamola Luckman, he would start for them, because he, Luckman, Calvert-Lewin, and Richarlison as a front three would be really nice. Decore, Alan, and Vlasic as a midfield three would be really good. You know, they'd only really need a right back and a goalkeeper at that point to go 4-3-3. Under Nuno, they'd need a couple of pieces. Like, I just think I just think they have to get it right. I think they really have to get it right because Brands has had a couple of shots now at managers. Like, he went all in on Silva, caused murder with Watford. He, he ended up getting sacked by Watford, and it seemed to break his confidence. By the time he arrived at, at Everton... He was a shell of a man. They ended up having to pay a big compensation fee for him anyway. Then they went for the big Hollywood uh, approach with um, with Carlo, and it hasn't worked. Like they really need to get get this one right. And you mentioned earlier on, like I actually do think Dyche would be a really clever appointment because Dyche wouldn't need a whole lot of money. Like, he'd still have the same issues. He'd still need a right-back because they just don't have a good right-back at the club. 
Seamus Coleman has passed his best. And John Joe Kenny's probably a little bit below where you'd want him to be. But they've got strong options at centre-back. You'd still want a goalkeeper. They've got strong options in centre midfield. They'd need width. But they've got the two boys up front, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, as a two could be dangerous. They still own Moise Keane, so he's he's a good option. You could just play a Wobi as a winger. His mm. his work rate, his endeavour would be very Dyche-esque on the right. They could just go and then buy Dwight McNeil on the left wing, get a decent right back in and just say, look, that's what we've got. We've got you, You've got your new right back. You've got Dwight McNeil. You'll have to just work with Pickford for a year. But just go for it. That's what you have for this year, and we'll readdress it next season. We'll have a look again. I Dye should be a smart point, appointment. He, I think he'd do very well there. But I don't think Everton fans would accept it. They've obviously been linked with Rafa and Gerrard. Everton fans aren't accepting either of those. Uh, I've seen Everton fans say they want Conte, they want Simeone. I think they need to pump the brakes. I would call Conte. I would call them and say, what do you want? But they're not. Yeah, he missed out on us. So unless Poch actually leaves PSG, there isn't really a bigger job out there. No, that's exactly the thing. And and Everton is a big club, but it's a big, big job. And again, he promised the spending that he's looking for. Because that's why he left Inter, is because they wouldn't promise they weren't going to sell his best players and didn't promise that they'd give him enough money to bring in the players that he wanted. Tottenham couldn't offer that either. Everton, for all their weird issues, have that money. They do have that money, and they have, as with Nuno, like they have players that could suit a back three. They, they'd still need the same things. He might have a bit more time for Pickford than I think uh, Nuno would, although Pickford is a similar type of goalkeeper to Rui Patricio. Not as good, but a similar style of goalkeeper, so maybe Nuno would be okay with him and put up with the with the, with the the errors and the short arms. Um I just think, again, Conte, they're a little bit too far away from being at a stage where Conte is the man for them. Like Again, like Carlo, he's not really a guy that comes in and builds. He comes True. in... And they probably aren't close enough to winning trophies now for him to really be interesting because Antonio thing. Conte doesn't do not winning titles. No, he's not going to look at a team in 10th and go... I, well, I know Chelsea finished tenth the year before, but that was... They won a title say, season. He literally before. did that. <laughs> but they won the title the year before that. And they, you know, they're Chelsea. They've won a bunch of titles. They've won, they've won a Champions League in, in, you know, four years before. They've always got endless supplies of money. I know Everton have money, but not Chelsea levels. I, I just think Everton are a level below. Like, if you could get Nuno in for a couple of years to get you to sixth, then you could go and get Conte. Then you could be like, look, we're sixth in the Premier League. We've got this really good core of players. What we need is a great manager, and we're going to give you two hundred million to go and add to what you want to it. And I think that's what Conte would take. If you give Conte two hundred million with this Everton team right now, maybe they scrape top four. Maybe. Yeah, and that yeah, that really isn't kind of the the Conte thing. Although if you give him enough money, you know you can. I, I know that was one of the issues is that. Uh, the last three jobs he's taken, he's added at least eight players his first window. And, you know, in theory, they have the funds to do that. But whether or not they would remains to be seen. Uh, where did you end up grade-wise for them? For me, it's a D. Yeah, I went C-. minus. Wow. We, uh, maybe we need to get on a third person that thinks about things more differently. But that would make it less fun for us, so maybe not. Um, so on to Fulham. I'm awarding them my first ever F-plus 
I don't know if that's actually a thing in schools. If you can get an F plus, but that's where I'm going with. I they had a decent enough transfer window. Um, they didn't have purchase options on some of the players that maybe they should have. Um, but they they came into the season with basically the only big squad question being, is Mitrovic going to score the goals we need to stay up? And then he didn't. Uh, they were middle of the pack in chances created and accurate crosses, so not definitely not relegation. Uh, fodder in either of those regard in either of those regards but scored just 27 goals all season that is just really not good enough I forget what the home number was but I'm pretty sure I remember hearing it was pretty tragic uh, how rarely they were scoring at home as well um, but then they brought in uh, Josh Maya Josh Maja never been very clear on it mm. uh, former Sunderland Academy player um, he came in played pretty well they went in a really nice run which was full of mostly draws of varying quality but it really gave the fans hope that they might be able to push on to safety. They might be able to catch up. Like I said earlier, it really seemed like uh, right when they were peaking was right when Newcastle were at their worst. And so it kind of seemed like a, a sliding doors moment there of, of will Fulham be able to be the ones that push on and Newcastle just kind of slip out of the Premier League without much of a fight. Ended up not being the case. Um, then they just ran out of juice and fell well short of safety because while they were in 18th and I was talking about Burnley uh, being in 17th and being one place away from, from relegation, that was nine points. And, you know, when you get as few points as Fulham did on the season, nine points is a pretty big chasm. Um, like that is not just a, oh, if we'd done one thing differently. Obviously, all those draws, you, you turn a couple of them into wins, maybe you cut that gap. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it It just didn't end up, you know pushing to the last day of the season, which I'm sure is just what they hoped that they would have a chance later in the season. And basically, wasn't this the first year that, or the earliest time that all three clubs had been decided? Yeah, it was like all three gone with three games to go. I think it was yeah. the first time we'd ever seen that. And yeah. what I think, you know, the hope was Newcastle are in trouble. Fulham are, are, you know, getting a bit stronger. Maybe that last game at Craven Cottage will be, you the know, decider. the decider and that'll be because mm-hmm. You know, the title was over fairly early. Um, so you think everyone was looking at that and going, well, at least it could be some final day drama. Um, but, I mean, their last 10 games, eight defeats and two draws is is shambolic. I, I don't know how Parker survived the season, if I'm honest. Yeah, and, and that's what I was going to say. Is, is I don't know if he's the guy. Like I said, they were a player short, kind of like Brighton, um, where we were talking about they were a striker short. I mean, the, the team that they built around them was was not bad. Um, I'd like to have seen Onoma play more, but Adam Lookman was a great signing. Obviously, um, Zambo Frankangisa just wasn't the same um, after dealing with some health issues, um, which was unfortunate because he was incredible the first half of the season. Mm. Um, the defense was really good. Joachim Anderson and Alphonse Ariola was just brilliant business. Tosin Adarabayo, also really a really good, good signing. Sign. Yeah, like they were 13th. In defense in the Premier League this year. The defense was not the issue. Although, like you mentioned earlier, they did play defensively and have good players in defense. Um, so maybe, you know, they, they could have achieved even even a little bit more than that, um, especially with the midf- midfield help that was in front of them, which I really didn't mind. Lemina, Reed, Angisa when he's fit. Like, that's really not strong. a bad midfield treat. Really strong. Good fullbacks. Yep. Ola Aina. Uh, yeah, who's now gone, I think. I think he's he gone because they, they, they had a purchase op- option on him for $8 million. But he's not mm. going to go to championship club. No. Um, Kenny Tete is a good player. Yeah. And, and they brought in Anthony Robinson on a bargain from Wigan. They had a really strong transfer window. Like yeah. the only one of the players they brought in that didn't really work. Congla was a mistake, but I think they had 
an agreement to sign him if they came up. Yeah. Um, and he was injured all season. The only one that didn't work is Loftus Cheek. Which he is a just, shame. Yeah. He just He's just not going to reach his heights. He's another one of the Chelsea burnouts. Yeah. And unfortunately, that, that Achilles injury he had, he just has never recovered from. But, you know, Robinson, Reed, Tete, Tosin, Lamina, Ariola, Aina, Luckman, Anderson, and Maja all did did good to very good. I I just think they were managed by a guy who was way out of his depth. I think they came up a season too early for Parker. I think he yeah. needed another season to learn. I was really surprised. I, I think if his name wasn't Scott Parker, he'd have been sacked quite early because the last time they came up, they gave Jokanovic, I think, 12 games and binned him off. And he's a much better manager than Parker, a much more proven manager. Um, be interested to see how he does now at Sheffield United. But I, I think if he was anyone other than Scott Parker, he'd have been sacked. But I think the benefit of their season is that there's now going to be a bunch of other clubs going, well, Joachim Anderson did really well with Fulham and we need a centre-back. To be and, fair, it's probably us. It sounds like we're going to try to it, do it even if we don't have a manager in place in time because we wanted him right before he went to Lyon. Yeah. And then just missed out. Like we have, we have institutionally wanted him. Like you know, some some people are like a manager's guy or a director of football's guy. Institutionally, Todd have wanted Joachim Anderson for a long time. I'm, and I, I literally was, wouldn't be surprised if we get that across the line before the manager. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think I think he'd be he can fit in a two or a three. Um, so that's that's a benefit. I also think, Do you think if he I, has the leadership trait because he seemed to have it for Fulham, but we didn't really see it before from him. He at at. At, at Sampdoria, he was quite vocal. Mm. Um, at Lyon, he seemed to lose all his confidence. Yeah, but that Sampdoria, was a Yeah, and it's weird because Lyon are normally so good with that type of thing. And you would have thought the French League would have suited him. Um, if I was Tottenham, I'd also be having a strong look at Ariola and wondering, can yeah. I get them to take Hugo Lloris I always I, thought that was going to be the move, is that Hugo Lloris would retire with PSG, which I'm even more convinced of if they end up keeping Poch, and that Ariola would have come the other mm. way in that deal. And he was really good. Like, really good. He was fantastic. Probably um, his best season. Like, everybody was waiting for him to take the step up, and he was thrown into the fire a little bit. Although, like we said, he, he had some good defenders in front of him, but he was fantastic. But, like, if, uh, for Liverpool, I'd be looking at Ola Aina and thinking, well, I need a backup to Trent, and if he's six to eight million... I'm not going to find better than him. He's homegrown. He's a quality player, can play both yeah. sides, can play in the center, gives me the option of the back three. Good going forward, strong defensively. Uh, I think I think Adamola Luckman will definitely get some some interest this summer. And if he's available again on a loan, I think a lot of clubs will be in for him. Do you um, think he's not ready to, to play somewhat regularly for Leipzig? I just don't think Leipzig have any interest in playing him regularly. Mm. That's, that's regardless of if he's there or not. Yeah, I think that's the be all and end all of it. Um, and I think like if I was if I was Fulham, I would probably try and keep Josh Madger because I think I think if you go down, he'll get you enough goals in the championship to at least keep you competitive. Um, they've got big questions to answer this summer over the manager, over um, Mitrovic. And, and obviously now they have to replace Lamina, Ariola, Aina, Luckman. Uh, Anderson and Loftus-Cheek, all of whom were, if not starters, certainly within the first 14. Um, And most of them were starters, to be fair. So it's a big, big summer for Fulham. It's a really big summer for Fulham. Going down, 
I think will have a much harder effect on them this time than it did the last time, purely because so many of their key players this year were in on loan. And the guys that brought them up, I mean, they've all got to be kind of looking at it going, that's the thing. And they're all kind of got to be looking at it going, well, we got you up and then you just binned us off after three games. So we're not all that pushed on staying here either. And knowing that if you get you back up for the third time, you're going to replace them again. Yeah, I think for me as well, Fulham would have to be, I think, an F. I, I, I do think an F. And they left it quite late to get their business done. I think they need to readdress their structure as well. Like, I know Tony Khan is, runs the day today, but he runs it from Jacksonville. They need someone on the ground in London making day-to-day decisions. I think they need to change the manager as well. Although, mm. maybe you give him the year in the championship and see how he does. Especially if you're losing that many players. Like, do you not just want, like, some thread of consistency? So, that's the thing. But Mitrovic has pretty much already said it from what I read. In, well, I read a translation of something he'd said in a Serbian newspaper, which was basically, if Parker's still there, I won't be there. So, um, you've, you've going to have to cut your cloth accordingly. But... A big summer coming now for for Fulham. Um, Let's move on then to a team that excelled in their first season back in the Premier League. Leeds United, ninth place. I would say the most attractive team to watch from start to finish this season. Dreadful defensively until the latter part of the season when Diego Loriente finally got a consistent run in the team, free from injuries, and Robin Koch came back from injury as well. Mm. Struijic took a step forward, and their defence was really good. And look, Patrick Bamford had a, had an excellent season. Harrison was very good. Phillips was excellent. Stuart Dallas was excellent. Rafinha was one of the most exciting players in the league all year, and someone that I, I, I would be... I'd be a little bit surprised if he's still at Leeds next season. Mm. I think he's about to... I think they'll have sizable offers for him that they may not be able to turn down. I know they've got loads of money behind them, but the player's will is still going to come into it. And he, if you look back, he wasn't all that keen at the Leeds move at the time anyway. Yeah. I think if a Champions League team or a potential Champions League team comes in for him, I think there's a possibility they may have a gentleman's agreement with him that he can move on. But I think the season is an A. I think Bielsa should have, at least, if not one manager of the year, he should have been second to David Moyes. I love watching them play. I, I would watch them play endlessly. I, I've, I'm yet to miss a Leeds match under Bielsa. I've watched every one of them, and they're just so much fun. Yeah. Both ends. <laughs> Both ends, yeah. Because they're the worst team I've ever seen at defending set pieces. Like, the worst. <laughs> and yet, they're, but they're just remarkably aggressive going forward. Like, you're seeing a team commit eight and nine players in attack. Not... not like, we got it at the back. And they yeah, don't. Like, but. That guy can cover us by himself. It's normally poor Stuart Dallas. Just, or not Stuart Dallas. Um, Liam Cooper. Just left stood there looking around endlessly trying to find a friend. <laughs> and everyone else is bombing forward. And I I love his approach. I, I, I think they did really good business 
in the summer. I think they had some tough times with injuries this season as well. A lot of injuries at centre-back. Uh, Lorienti missed a big chunk of the season. So did Robin Cock. Cooper missed some games. Um, Phillips had a couple of spells on the sideline in midfield. Uh, Rodrigo missed some games. Well, like quite a few games, actually. But and some of them were just for not being as good as Patrick Bamford, which I'm sure they were not expecting. He was so, so good this season. And I think he's one that can look at the England squad at the Euros and go, I probably should have been in that. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. I think his all-round game makes him the best backup for Harry Kane that England has. He's almost an analog. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I agree. I, I was pretty surprised that he didn't make it, and I was also very impressed with with Leeds. I don't know why I gave them a B plus. <laughs> Probably should have been higher. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with most of those points, obviously. Getting to see Bielsa... Uh, in the Premier League week on week, especially obviously having read as much about and from Pochettino as I have, obviously uh, a disciple of of Bielsa's as was Guardiola. It was just really fascinating to see some of the differences um, that they have and and some of the maybe misunderstandings or personal liberties that Pochettino took with the general system. And I think the best thing is that Bielsa found a place that he was happy because I, I think that was the problem. Like, Multiple times he left jobs within months, not even full seasons, because it just wasn't the right fit. And he was like, at my age, with the fact that I basically modernized football, yeah, this ain't worth it. So just seeing like an older, chilled out version, just sitting on stuff, <laughs> crouching, and just kind of directing his team in an almost video game-like way of like him it feels like he's the one pushing and pulling and and moving players into position like you you can see the the tactical impetus um that that he's placed on that team and and how much it benefits all the players that he has um well this is his longest stint now at a club yeah and it will Um, continue to be because i very much doubt he's unhappy now no i think he loves it and and i follow a few leeds fans and i see things get retweeted on, on 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 social media and, like, it's not just, you know, his life with the club. It's his life in general around Leeds. And, and yeah. he lives in a little village in, in Yorkshire. And he, you know, goes to this little cafe and reads his paper and seems just so at peace with everything. And you, you hear all these great stories coming out about what a nice man he is and how much care he takes to make sure that everybody at the club feels valued and, the things he did for the, they did it a raffle and he went and he spent like 10 grand on prizes to be given away at this raffle. Like he bought a car to be raffled off at a raffle yeah. for like staff. And so it was just, he's so, he sounds like such a wonderful man and you really do want success. And as much as I would love Rafinha at Liverpool, part of me really wants him to stay there. I want that Leeds team to stay together, add three or four more good players like i'd love to see them go and bring in matthias pereira from yeah. from west brom that'd be awesome and also uh, in regards to rafinha he's like maybe 12 to 18 months away from potentially having that like gareth bale-esque breakthrough where it's just like yeah. oh this is my team now and i will do most of the goals and assists mm. like oh my gosh he, he's so talented and i do not think he's as far off as people might think no, and like I see Liverpool fans. Obviously, Liverpool are you know there's there's the Sancho talk for Liverpool, United, Chelsea, and I see Liverpool fans saying, "Oh, if we don't get him, it's if we don't get Sancho, it's it's a joke, it's a farce." Right now, in 2021, Rafinha is every single bit as good as Jaden Sancho, 
and mm-hmm. over the next three years is likely to be better than Jaden Sancho as he yeah. enters his peak years. He's just now, a little next, older and not English. That's the thing. And over the next six years, yeah, maybe the back end of that Sancho is the better player. But for the right now, for the for the narrow title window that Liverpool have, where they have Van Dijk, Salah, Thiago, Fabinho, these world-class players in their late 20s, Rafinha makes probably more sense especially if he's 25, 30 million cheaper than Sancho and that enables you to go and buy a high-end midfield player as well um, rather than, you know, spending 90 million on Sancho and having to get a 15, 20 million pound mid- midfield player. I think Rafinha makes sense. But like I said, I would, I, there's, the football fan part of me wants him to stay at Leeds and wants to see this yeah. Leeds team develop under Bielsa. And I really want Bielsa just to stay there forever, just so that I can watch his team play so easily. Like It could absolutely pay- be his retirement job. He's just there till he's done. It could be. It really could be. Because for him, I think it is a balance of how happy is he in life, not just how happy is he at the club. And Leeds do bend over backwards for him. But he does for them as well, because let's be fair. Yeah, and he doesn't have any outrageous demands that takes advantage of that leniency. No, and like let's be fair, he could have gone to better jobs. Now, not bigger clubs, because Leeds are a huge club. But he went and took a job in the championship, a mid-table championship team. Not a team that had been beating down the door to get promoted. A mid-table championship team. He's Marcelo Bielsa. He's an icon. Like you mentioned Pochettino and Guardiola adore him there's and there's countless mm-hmm. others the Klopp adores him he could have gone anywhere he wanted and <laughs> he went to Leeds so you know he's been obliging to them they're obliging to him the people of Yorkshire let him live his life they're not you know standing at his front door asking for autographs he just he, he seems the happiest I've ever seen him other than yeah. when he was with the, the the Chile national team he looked very happy when he was there, but otherwise he's always been a bit scowly, but he loves life at Leeds. I, yeah. I hope, I kind of hope he stays for forever. I really do. I agree. And uh, like you said about all the managers, like him, I, I've always loved the phrase, uh, your favorite rapper's favorite rapper in music. Yes. He's like your favorite manager's favorite manager. <laughs> like, yeah. like if you know, you know. Like every manager, well, not every manager, all the non-gammon managers, I reckon, <laughs> look at Bielsa and go, I love to have the bottle to play like that like i'd absolutely love to have the freedom to be able to just send my team out to play like that because you can't imagine like many managers go into the the craft wanting to play like roy hodgson right but i think they all like i'm gonna make an impact by not getting relegated for 10 straight years yeah, they want to go in and they want to have fun and they want to be adored the way Bielsa's adored. Anyway, that's enough of Leeds. You, you carry us out of this <laughs> one then. Yeah, yeah, So uh, Lester will finish us up for the day. Um, I've given them a B plus. Um, that might be harsh, but because uh, based on expectation, you know, finishing fifth and winning an FA Cup for a club like Leicester is great. 
The issue is that they fell short of the top four on the final day for the second straight season. And if you look back across Brendan Rodgers' managerial career, this is not the first time something like this has happened. Um, but on the whole, obviously, they had a very good season. They were dealing with injuries yet again, Pereira and Madison, who always seemed to have injury issues for them. Some of their best young players, Harvey Barnes and James Justin, both both had significant injuries as well. Um, as far as the signings went, uh, Wesley Fofana, turns out he isn't going to be long-term good. Turns out he's just actually good. Just flat-out good. <laughs> yeah. Like, I thought that was a potential signing. He's like, no, it's now. I mean, it's also then, but it's also now. Um, he was obviously fantastic. And I, I think um, Timothy Castagna was one of the best signings that any team had, not because of just pure ability, but because he could cover both wingbacks and he covered Pereira until Pereira was out hurt. And then he covered Justin after Justin got hurt. Like their season could have crumbled if they had lost their two excellent wingbacks. And he was like, Oh, I just, I got you. <laughs> I can do either of those. He even pushed up into midfield for some matches for them. Um, so he played not on the like, right hand side of a back three as well in two games. Yep. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. He, he just covered everything for them. And, you know, teams just need a guy like that. They can cover that many positions. And it was it was amazing for them that the year where they lose both of their wingbacks, he's like, oh, no, I've come in. I can play both of those. Um, so, yeah, just a crucial signing, maybe more than an incredible one. But, yeah, just just very good to get him in. Um, like I said, Fofana, brilliant signing. Uh, struggle a little bit with the mistakes once Johnny Evans was out, which they probably need to deal with long-term. Also, I don't know if long-term they're going to stick with the back three, um, but obviously they really struggled once Johnny Evans went down and they had to push, like, Ndidi to the back. I know in our match, um, that's kind of the area that we kept targeting was where Evans should have been. Um, I think it happened in the cup final as well. Mm. Right when he went down, didn't Chelsea start immediately targeting that space? I think Werner had a chance where he was, like, drifting to the left into there and... And had a chance that he missed because, you know, it was still Timo Werner this year for whatever reason. But anyway, you pair him with Soyuncu long-term Fofana, that's that's an incredible pairing. Or if you need a third, then you probably need to go buy a third. You can't rely on Johnny Evans' age or injury-wise. Um, terrific as that signing wound up being for them. Um, but yeah, Fofana and Soyuncu would be a great pairing or a great two parts of a very good three. Um, uh, I think Vardy started to show signs of age for like the first time he still scored a lot of goals total, but three times this season, he went at least five games without scoring, which I think is, is fairly new for him. He's always been a little streaky, but five games between goals three times is a lot. Fortunately for them though, Ihe Anacho remembered that he was one of the most sought after young strikers when he was leaving city uh, and showed all the way up, scored 12 goals, I think. And all of them were in the second half of the season. Mm. That is very good news for them because then the question is when you're replacing Vardy, which might not be this year yet, I'm sure they're comfy with Vardy and Ihanacha going into next year. But when you lose Vardy with another year that you get to see, Ihanacho might be the replacement you were looking for the whole time, and then you bring it back up to him, or you bring in somebody at the same level to compete, or you bring somebody ahead of him, and Ihanacho has to play his way into the 11, which he finally did this year. Also, injuries helped a lot. <laughs> they, they needed somebody on the pitch, and he managed to do it, which allowed Ihanacho and Vardy to play together, which is something that obviously hadn't happened much um, before that. But on the whole, I mean, the, the team that they have there you know, if he had not chosen any decent, the core of him, Madison, Barnes, and Didi, Tielemans, Fofana, Soyanchu, that 
it is either one of the best young cores in the Premier League or it is the best young core in the Premier League. That's the debate. It's not if it's, it's not if it's a good core at all. That is just absurd stuff. And I am thoroughly unsurprised that even when people were telling me that, you know, Brendan Rodgers, he obviously wants to move to London. He obviously wants to manage Harry Kane, all that stuff, which, you know, we'll see. But I am very unsurprised that he decided to stay where he was. The potential and talent in that squad is absurd. Obviously missed out on the Champions League, but Europa League, uh, you know, they could make some noise there. They're starting to build up squad depth a little bit more. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with Under. Do they buy him or do they loan him? They loaned him and they've sent him back. They're not going to ah, keep yeah. him. All right. Well, then that's a little bit less depth than I was talking about. But you have Dennis Prate there to to back up either um, T. Alamans or Madison when they're out. Like we mentioned, if their fullbacks are finally back and healthy, then Castagna is a good backup option at those positions. So, yeah. Uh, and Ihan Nacho obviously can spell Vardy up front, as we saw this year. So, yeah. Uh, on the whole, uh, I, I think B+. Plus. Disappointing that they missed out again. Winning the FA Cup, though, like, like you talked about before with Chelsea. If you look outside just the Premier League. Winning the FA Cup, the emotions that everybody showed, um, the relationship that they have with the manager, obviously the son of of their uh, former owner who, who tragically passed away in a helicopter accident. Like him being able to be the architect of this like Leicester 1.2 kind of version of them and, and the, the players wanting him to be a part of the celebrations. Like, much like we were just talking about Bielsa, it, it shows mm. the unity that they have right now. And I think that's why Tottenham fans were looking at Rodgers. But we don't want Rodgers. We want what Leicester have. And Rodgers is just a part of that. But on the whole, yeah, obviously not a bad season to be a Leicester fan. Maybe just the one disappointing day at the end there. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think when you look at at the season, I think to miss top four is unforgivable in this season. When you have a Liverpool team that go through what they went through this season, a Chelsea team that was managed by a PE teacher for half the year, Spurs as an absolute mess all season. Arsenal doing whatever it is that Arsenal doing. I don't think there's any excuse for Leicester not to have gotten top four. They've got a quality goalkeeper in Casper. Now, I know he's aging, and he, he did have some rough moments this season, and I, I do yeah, think they need to... against us. Yeah, and I think they need to be looking at replacing him, not immediately, but maybe in a year, so they need to get someone in. You've got Pereira, who's excellent. Now, I know he had injury problems, but he still played a chunk of the season. Castanier was, was was quality and, like you say, versatile. James Justin, until he got hurt, might have been the best fullback in the league this season. Played both sides, played right-hand side of a back three. You mentioned if they go back three long-term, James Justin could be the right-side centre-back in a back three, no problem. He's got the build, he's got the pace, he's good enough defensively. Hmm. Him, Fafana, Sayonchu, with Pereira and Castanier as wing-backs. That's as good as pretty much anybody in the league have. You add Ndidi and Tielemans and Bubakari Samari now arriving over. Oh, my God, I forgot. Wow. That's a phenomenal midfield group. Dennis, You've got Dennis Pryat, uh, Hamza Chowdhury, and Nimpali's Mendy as backups. Again, super, super impressive. You've got Madison, you've got Barnes, you've got Vardy, you've got Iheanacho. It looks like Odson Edward could be the next one in from Celtic. He's very good. So that's a hell of a squad. They've got young... What's the young left back's name that played uh, this season? Is it George? Oh, I can't think of the guy's name now. Luke Thomas. Luke mm, Thomas, yeah, yeah. an impressive young left back. Like, it's a very, very strong squad. You've got Ayosi Perez. Daniel Amarty can play different positions. You've still got Albrighton. Danny Ward is a solid backup goalkeeper. Um, it's a really, really good squad. And I think. 
when when you look at look, it's Leicester, so you're like, okay, you're not thinking of them as a you know a Champions League likely, but the squad. I'm not sure there's many squads in the league I take over Leicester's, even without Samari arriving. Yeah. Like John, I didn't even mention Johnny Evans, like one of the most underrated defenders in the league. Three million they got him for. Three yeah. million. Um, I think, I think given how the season f- fell for them, I think it's a big disappointment not to get top four. And I think last season was the same. I think everything broke for them. With last season, Spurs were a mess. Arsenal were a mess. United and Chelsea weren't particularly good. They came out of lockdown with like a 99% chance of a top four finish. Somehow ended up fifth. This season, they were the same. This season, they were top four every single week of the season up until week 37 when they fell out and they end up fifth. Yep. More like, than any other club. More than any other club. More than any other club over the last two years. Yep. They've been in the top four and missed both years. That to me is on Rogers at Swansea. He had a chance for automatic promotion bottled it. Now they came up through the, through the playoffs. Fair enough, but they bottled the automatic promotion at Liverpool. He had the title pretty much in hand needed two draws and a win. Sorry, a, a two wins and a draw from Chelsea at home, palace away who were awful and Newcastle at home who were poor title in hand blew it. Blue top four last year with Chelsea, or with Leicester. Blew it again this year. To me, it's an indictment on Rodgers, not so much on mm. the players. I think the players are giving absolutely everything they have. They Which do need a why they have to keep having so many injury issues. Well, that's the thing. That is the thing. And they're being, like, he's he's not always the most pragmatic manager in the world. Um, I think they do need to look at, you know, the long-term success of the Vardy are probably more... A, a short-term success at Vardy, someone who can take over that role in a year. Same with the goalkeeper. But aside from that, depending on the shape he wants to play, you're only really adding squad depth. You've got your starting eleven. You might maybe prefer to bring in another. No, I don't even think you would. I think I think what they've got. Like, if we look at them, say, having... You, you probably want to bring in some depth at centre-back. That's probably about it. A bit more depth at centre-back. Yeah. And that's Especially probably, if you're going to play back three. If yeah. you're going to do a two, maybe... Um, is it Benkovic? Benkovic, yes. Yeah, so they they hey, could maybe go with Fafana your... and Sancho, then Benkovic and Evans as the backups. Yeah. You've got, that's fine. If you've got Pereira and Castanier, say, as the right-backs, James Justin and Young Thomas as the left-backs... A midfield three, let's just say, of Thielemans, Ndidi, and Madison with Sumare, Priet, and Chowdhury as a backup. Which is just unreal, although I don't really rate Chowdhury that highly. But the rest of them... I wouldn't be a huge fan, but I think as as your fifth or sixth or even seventh midfielder, he's he's absolutely fine. And he's homegrown and he's, you know, from the fabric of the club. Um, And then up in attack, you've you've got um, Iheanacho, you've got... Vardy, you've got Barnes, you've got Iosi Perez, uh, you, you've got Albrighton. You maybe look to bring in one more there. Like that's that's really really strong, really really strong. Uh, but I I I think they may have missed their window for top four because mm. Liverpool aren't going to have the same issues next season that they had this season. They're going to be top four. United, you would imagine, will be top four again next season. 
City will will be top four. And it's very hard to see Chelsea. Like United are the team that finished in the top four this year that have the potential to fall out of it. But you've also got potentially a reloaded Spurs team. Yeah, what's happening with us, Everton, Arsenal, even Wolves, like... I don't know who's contending there. Maybe Leeds. Maybe it's Leeds next Maybe year. It is the one outside the big Villa. that pushes. If yeah, Villa spend be. money well, get in another striker, another one in midfield and replace Mings. Maybe Villa can make a push. Maybe West Ham can build on this season. I think Leicester may have missed a window. And we may also see a departure or two. I think there's mm. a certain potential for Yuri Tielemans to leave this summer. He seemed to say goodbye after the Spurs game. Mm-hmm. He went back out on the pitch by himself, walked around, saying, waving to the crowd. It looked like a goodbye. Yeah. Now, maybe it was just a, you know, thanks for everything, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it looked like a goodbye. Mm. Just and like Kane. He, he thinks he's going. Whether or not he does, you know, we'll see. But... That's the thing. And again, we don't know if he has some sort of agreement that if a Champions League co- club comes in, he can leave for a certain figure. Yeah. Because when they got him, it was seen as a massive coup because he was this massively touted young player and they got him in first on loan and then made it permanent. And a lot of people suggested at the time there has to be a wink, wink, nudge, nudge situation there where if, you know, within two years, they haven't got a year or two, they haven't got Champions League and a United or a City or Liverpool come in for him that he can go at 50 or 60 million. And with them bringing in Sumare, maybe it's them preempting Yuri Thielemans leaving. That's I know the different type I of players about for anyone. But yeah, but they'd play in the same place. That's the thing. They'd play next <laughs> Even though to they're obviously different Indeed. profiles. Um, we'll leave this to, here for today. Uh, I've mm. got, you've got a B plus. I've got a B minus uh, for Leicester. So we leave that as part one. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Kev. Check out Kev on Twitter at Kevrov. Uh, check out the EPL Index Roundtable. You'll find that on any good podcast provider. You can also follow it on Twitter and send him abusive messages if you wish. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, later in the week, we'll be back with part two over on the EPL Roundtable feed. So do keep an eye out for that. Podcast Network.